Hello and welcome back to the Feel Good Spine podcast where I have quite literally got your back talking all things scoliosis related back hair as well as fitness, yoga and just health in general getting you to live your best possible life. In today's episode we are going to be talking all things pain related, scoliosis, Is pain even real? I'm joking, of course it's real. But I will be interviewing a very special guest. He is a kinesiologist specializing in chronic pain, rehabilitation, and motor skills. He has worked in the health industry for over nine years, helping over 500 people get out of pain and live pain-free. How awesome is that? Also, I am very lucky to know him in person. He's one of the smartest guys I know, and I cannot wait for you to hear this interview I bring to you Rob Seamus. Hi Rob, thank you so much for joining me on the Feel Good Spine podcast. I am so excited to have you here and we're going to be talking about all things pain, pain related and uh, yeah we're going to learn some really interesting stuff. So Rob, why don't you say hi, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey listeners, Uh, yeah so uh, my name is Rob. Uh, I am a kinesiologist, and as uh, Claudia knows, my nickname is uh, the pain guy in our circles. Uh, I started as an athletic trainer at UBC Okanagan, where I got my degree in kinesiology. Uh, Then I started to manage a healthcare clinic, where I started to specialize in chronic pain, worked as a personal trainer at Equinox, where Claudia and I met, and then currently I'm a director working at a startup called Ginkgo Health. We're developing an app to solve the physical inactivity crisis that's developing as our population ages. Wow. <laughs> that is awesome. And I must say, Rob is one of the smartest guys I know, and especially when it comes to pain and this kind of stuff. So I just knew that he was going to be absolutely perfect for this. So let's crack, let's crack on to it, Rob. So... Tell me a little bit about what what is pain? Yeah, yeah, that's a a fair question. It's a big question. Uh, So I think it's really important to be quite blunt. Pain is a sensation inflicted on our bodies by our brains. So I think most people believe that pain is something that's in our bodies and that it's always a sign of tissue damage, but it's really not. It's inflicted on the site, in the body, by our brains when certain fibers are sufficiently stimulated. But that pit stop in the brain is where things like our personalities, our past experiences, and our beliefs can have an effect on the intensity or even the presence of pain in general. So it's not something that's inherent to the body, even though it feels like that. It's inflicted by the brain. Interesting. It's inflicted by the brain. Okay. Yeah. So it's we people think we people think we have uh, pain receptors, for example, in the body, right? Like that, just our nerves get stimulated enough, and then that causes pain. But what's really happening is we have something called nociceptive fibers. They detect pressure. They detect uh, pH. They detect uh, temperature. And if those are sufficiently stimulated that gets sent to the spinal cord, that information gets sent up the spinal cord to the brain, it comes back down the spinal cord and the brain inflicts the sensation of pain on a region. So it's 
a little complicated, but it's not that pain is here. It's that pain is in the brain and it's telling you to look here because something is stimulating that area sufficiently. Very interesting. Because you always think like if something hurts, you're like this area like is really, really painful. But I guess, yeah, that makes sense that it's not really that that's painful. It's your brain making it sound like it's like, like saying, look here, like you've got an issue here. Yeah. And you need to fix it. Yeah, that, that's the idea is that your brain is trying to get you to pay attention to an area. I, I always say it's like a smoke alarm. And sometimes you're cooking toast, sometimes there's actually a fire. And that's sort of the difference between like a nervous system that's responding to pain appropriately and one that's sort of uh, responding inappropriately or causing a lot of the discomfort that most people feel. Yeah, great analogy, by the way. Love Thank that. You. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so relating pain with scoliosis, obviously, um, like people with scoliosis have a lot of pain or think that they have a lot of pain. Just like simply what, why might scoliosis cause back pain? Let's start there. Yeah, fair enough. So I think it's uh, important to talk about like what a normal system is trying to accomplish or what it's trying to do and how unfortunately something like poor posture or scoliosis can affect that. So if we're looking at the spine from sort of a side view, you'll notice like a slight S curve to that shape. The idea there is that the S is supposed to act as kind of a spring to help us absorb load, help balance the head, to do all those kinds of things. But unfortunately for individuals with scoliosis or just poor posture in general, uh, when we're far outside of that alignment for long periods of time, it can have a real effect down the chain. So it's, our body doesn't really care about ideal postures. It's always just trying to get uh, the job done in the most efficient way with what it's presented. So in the case of something like scoliosis, where people might have a misalignment of the discs, you know, our brain, our brain doesn't care. It's going to try to solve the problem of keeping you moving, of keeping you athletic in any way that it can. And it's probably going to do that at the expense of the joints themselves. So for example, even in something like poor posture, if we're sitting at a desk for eight hours and we have to look at a screen and so we've got that head forward posture, that is actually a really good solution to that problem. That is energy efficient because you're just sort of sitting on the bones in your neck and you're sitting on the passive tissues like your ligaments and those don't take energy. So your brain's like, awesome, I solved this problem. I'm gonna use no energy. Rob can continue to stare at the screen all day long, but yeah. it does this at the expense of our joints, right? Yeah, that's like, we, we criticize our bodies, which is unfortunate because it's like they're doing what they were built to do. Our brain is solving that problem incredibly well. For somebody with scoliosis who has that misalignment, your brain wants to keep you moving. And, you know, a hundred years ago, we used to die from the flu or a lion. So it's like your brain doesn't care about ideal postures and making these joints last the longest. It cares about energy efficiency. And yeah. so it will tighten tissues. It'll put pressure on bones because those are energy efficient solutions to what we're doing. So that's really 
everybody's scoliosis is a little bit different, I think, and everybody's lifestyle is a little bit different, but your brain will sacrifice the joints any chance it gets uh, to save energy to keep you moving. So that's usually what ends up happening with scoliosis or poor postures, tighten muscles, bones pushing on bones, all that horrible stuff. It totally makes sense because I like, even sat here now, like I'm trying to <laughs> sit, I'm trying to sit up straight, okay? And like yeah. and I'm trying not to let my head push forward. Yeah. <laughs> you now we're talking about it, but sitting up straight, like it's exhausting. Like my I want to yeah. do like my body just wants to collapse. Hundred percent. And I think one thing that I always stress to my clients too, I usually spend the first session teaching them, you know, ideal, perfect posture. And then as soon as they've got it and they're looking good, the chest is up, they're sitting tall. I tell them that even if they were to hold this position after 20 minutes, the ligaments relax and your bones will start to slide. So even if you held perfect posture all the time, your discs would start to move around naturally. There is no perfect posture. The best posture is one that is moving throughout the day. It's the reason my chair that I'm currently sitting on is it's mildly uncomfortable because it forces me to move around a bunch. It's actually something I saw with the trainers at Equinox that I thought was hilarious. Whenever we were sitting during an education session, it was like a bunch of kindergartners. Like nobody could sit still for, yeah. long, for long periods of time. And we because we're not meant to. <laughs> yeah, we're not meant to. <laughs> yeah, our bodies love movement. And so it's uh, important to recognize that like sitting in any posture for eight hours a day or for long periods of time, anything more than like 20 or 30 minutes and your body's going to start making decisions at the expense of your joints in the name of energy yeah yeah okay that makes sense that makes sense that's why i'm kind of jittery now i guess my body yeah. down but sometimes you just gotta sit down so we just have oh 100 percent. <laughs> love a good sit <laughs> yeah. so that's really really interesting keeping it in in the kind of the theme with scoliosis i know sciatica is, a, is another kind of major pain issues that people get with scoliosis and regard like with scoliosis or without it a lot of people have it and it's been a question that I get frequently um, with clients and people that I work with with scoliosis I'm just wondering like how you can like just describe the how is pain by sciatica caused and how does it affect the body yeah on just a really basic level um Sciatic pain is just an overstimulation of the nerve somewhere along its path. So the sciatic nerve runs from the spine, it runs through the hips, it runs down the legs. And so it's, you know, it's annoying to talk to any healthcare practitioner because they'll tell you the answer is always like, it depends. Like, you know, it's always different sort of person to person. But sciatic pain in particular is really interesting because it comes up a lot. Like the clinic I worked at, um, you know, I worked with a chiropractor, a wonderful chiropractor, and um, sciatic pain is so, so common. But it's also a wonderful opportunity to talk about how different our bodies are. So the sciatic nerve, when it goes through the hips, there's a muscle in there called the piriformis, and it's a stabilizing tissue, and it gets blamed all the time by every single practitioner it's very it's very rude it's just sitting there trying to do his job and it gets blamed all the time 20 percent of the population the sciatic nerve actually innervates uh the piriformis 
but for 80% of the population, the nerve just runs right by it, right? So it might be that when we're sitting, as most of us are doing throughout our day, uh, for anybody who's sitting, really, that nerve is seriously stretched, right? It's yeah. being pulled. It's getting a lot of sensation throughout the day. That piriformis is probably stretched along with like the seven other muscles in the area that are doing the exact same thing that don't get the blame for some reason. But maybe it's just that those individuals who are experiencing sciatic pain are part of the 20% that have those tissues innervated by that nerve, right? Yeah. So the pain that people feel like a good practitioner will use that as sort of like a canary in the coal mine that it's like something along that path is causing overstimulation that's causing pain, sciatic pain, right? Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the piriformis' fault. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have weak glutes or weak hips, although you probably do. I've yet to meet a person whose <laughs> hips are strong enough. <laughs> but it, it's unfair to point at one tiny tissue and say that it's that fault. And, that, and to say that like, one stretch is going to help when your body might innervate that tissue in a different way than my body does. It's really, if you're having sciatic pain, there's quite a few different causes. It's probably the hips, <laughs> but there's a quite a few different causes. And anytime we feel pain, it's that smoke alarm. So it's just our body telling us that there's something in the area that we need to be paying attention to because our body feels that it's at risk. So that's really, people with sciatic pain should look at that as just an opportunity for improvement in that area. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Really interesting. Um, cool, so coming like uh -huh. so, so on pain, um, Explain to me the different types of pain. So I know, obviously, we've mentioned chronic pain, and there's also acute pain as well. Like, what is the difference? Like, what does it all mean? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so acute and chronic are terms slapped on by practitioners that basically say whether something has gone uh, beyond the normal healing time. So I'll use uh, my own injuries as an example. When I was in university, uh, I had five ribs dislocate from my spine. Uh, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was in serious pain for about nine months. Uh, I couldn't dress myself. Uh, anytime I took a breath, it caused excruciating pain throughout my back. Uh, whatever was going on in my ribs was more than enough to stimulate those nociceptive fibers. Those fibers alerted my brain. The brain inflicted pain on my ribs to make me aware of the potential and in this case likely damage at the site it's trying to get me to not do anything with that area so that it can rest so it's inflicting pain on that site and then eventually that pain went away right like that pain was acute it was within the normal healing time of ligaments and tendons and all that jazz that pain was appropriate for the issue it alerted me so I didn't do anything and it went away. Fast forward like a year or two after that and I had a big fall off of my bike. I was trying not to hit somebody, slammed on the handlebars, went over them myself and oh, yeah. hurt the right side of my body. 
I was in pain for a couple of days, um, like my hip and my knee and my elbow and that kind of stuff. That pain went away in a couple of days. The pain in my ribs stuck around for months. And I was starting to baby my ribs. I started to say, okay, you know, I just had a fall. Like I should be really cautious about using them because my brain is telling me that something's going on there. And I babied them for like a month or two. And then finally, I just got annoyed, <laughs> as any <laughs> fitness individual would, and just said, screw it, and started working out. And the pain went away immediately. Yeah. My, that's chronic pain. The intensity of that pain in my ribs was way above the actual damage that was done during the fall because of the rest of the damage that had happened to my body went away. The rest of the damage was acute. But my brain had learned how bad rib pain could be in university. And it never wanted to experience that again. So it was hyper vigilant about pain in my ribs to the point where it, the smoke alarm was going off despite there not actually being a fire, right? Wow, yeah. Because my brain had learned that response, right? So it's that sort of, misappropriate response that our brains are trying to keep us alive when something intense or constant pain threatens it our brains continue to inflict pain on an area that's damaged because it just doesn't want to do that again i feel pain in my ribs when i'm about to get the flu because <laughs> my nervous system is on high alert defending something and it's like just a little bit more cautious than it normally is. And so I'll start to feel that in my ribs before I get the flu. And then I know when my old high school ankle injuries flare up, then I'm like, oh, no, I'm about to go down. <laughs> so <laughs> chronic pain is you can think of that smoke alarm, right? That yeah. how accurate your smoke alarm is determines whether something is acute or chronic. If you're cooking toast and your smoke alarm's going off, that's chronic. That is a disproportionate response to what's actually happening. If you just got injured and you've got nine out of 10 pain, like, you know, there's actually a fire, like give it some rest. Yeah. Okay. That's, wow. <laughs> that brings me on to my next question. Like, can pain ever just be all in your head? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is where it gets interesting in my opinion. And, uh, some clients get very offended. Yeah. <laughs> all, all pain is in your head. Yeah. So it's always in your head. And that's what makes this so difficult to discuss with people. Because if I was to say something blunt, which I usually do, like yeah. your pain is in your head, you know, mm -hmm. uh, people th assume I'm dismissing their pain as not real. Or uh, they may think that I'm implying they're nuts. Uh, because they're like, no, my pain is most definitely in my wrist. My yeah. pain is in my spine. And I'm trying to tell them it's in their brain. And so they think it's dismissive. But I, I think it's really important to say that all pain comes from your head. If you just start squeezing your finger and you keep increasing, 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 that is not your body. That is your brain inflicting pain on your thumb. And so the traditional model of pain is biomechanical. It's assuming that all of the causes of pain are either biological 
or they're mechanical. There's something wrong at the area or it's biological. Your pain receptors are getting, uh, you know, turned on. But the current and more accurate model of pain is biopsychosocial. So it recognizes that, yes, there are absolutely biological reasons for why people might have pain. If your ligaments are damaged, if your tendons are damaged, that's totally can cause pain. Yeah. It's, I, you know, I gave a talk at Equinox and everyone just goes around yelling, pain's not real, pain's not real. Like, <laughs> it's, it's definitely real. Like, it's not for us to dismiss people's pain unless you're like trying to get insurance money and you damn well know you're faking it. Uh, everybody's pain is real. But it's super important to recognize that it's not just your body doing you dirty that's like causing this pain. One of my favorite studies, uh, the University of Wisconsin did a study on their collegiate runners and found that if you were a perfectionist, you were 17 times more likely to get injured. Really? If you are an anxious individual, you are significantly more likely to report delayed onset muscle soreness. Yes. <laughs> it, this idea that like, it's not just damage to the tissues that's causing this. You might also be an individual that has been told, maybe, maybe like for low back pain, like a lot of people see their parents suffering from low back pain and they are afraid of it. And mm. so that fear causes their pain to be worse or stick around longer than it might uh, for individuals who feel really confident in their body's resilience. Uh, one of my favorite uh, low back researchers, he helped a power lifter whose vertebra had fractured like almost in half. And he was able to help this individual rehab this injury to the point where I think their squat was something like 800 pounds before he worked with this individual. And it was like 1100 pounds afterwards. Wow. So it's we, a lot of the people we see with back injuries are sort of weak and frail. It's been bugging them for years and years and years. And so even just that fear of being incapacitated for the rest of your life will have effects on whether you feel like you're going to get better or not. It's one of the things I loved about working at Equinox versus working at a healthcare clinic was when I was at the healthcare clinic, uh, there was like a stream of injured people walking behind the gym section. And so it was kind of like fear-based. We were trying to, we, we'd fix these people's pain. We'd fix their injuries. We were trying to get them strong so that they didn't have to go down the hall to the other practitioners if they screwed up. Whereas working at Equinox or working in a general gym, I was working with people who were just as severely injured, but the person behind me is doing like a handstand or like doing something crazy. And this individual is thinking about what they can do and they're motivated by how strong their bodies can be as opposed to being motivated by fear. So it's just really important. Like it's, people think it's dismissive to say that pain is in your head, but I think it's super empowering because it means that there are a million different things that you can do psychologically about your beliefs, about your feelings, about your stress, about all of that to help with your pain. Whereas if you believe that pain is in your body and your body is kind of doing you dirty, 
then there's really like sort of nothing you can do about it. And the body is so confusing to most people that they have to rely on practitioners to help them. And now you're putting that control in somebody else's hands. And that's where I think it's like a really bad cycle uh, where people lose that empowerment and lose uh, the feeling of being in control of their body and uh, also their mind. So interesting thought that I just had. If you're suffering with chronic pain, do you, do you think one way that you could get rid of it would be like through therapy or meditation, yeah. or psychedelics or something like that instead of, um, yeah, like I'm going to go through like the, they get sort out the mental factor rather than maybe you just have chronic ankle pain, but it, you don't, it's just. Yeah. Well, I mean, so yeah, the, you know, this is getting, annoyingly nitty gritty, but that person does have chronic pain, but you're absolutely right. Like um, you can, let's say somebody had that chronic pain and for some weird reason, they were not allowed to do anything physical. We weren't gonna rehab their body whatsoever. You could 100% reduce their pain through effective meditation or through therapy. Through changing their beliefs on how much of risk they are or uh, how long this is going to last or on whether they just are a confident person, you could have a profound effect on somebody's pain just by doing it. I've worked with individuals where, because this is a complex topic and not everybody wants to listen to me lecture. And so there's, I sort of start my training with people by having a conversation. And if this guy just like really doesn't want to listen, sometimes I just, make them feel empowered and strong regardless. But I've had individuals where we worked for like eight to nine months, their pain maybe went from like an eight to a five or something like that. And then I realized, okay, it's not just being strong. It's not just the biological contributions that are affecting this person. And then for that individual, we spent three sessions just sitting on the mat, having conversations that you and I are having now and having a discussion about what pain is. And his pain went from a six to a two. And at times he was pain-free. And that took three sessions, whereas the previous pain reduction took like months to just get like a few numbers down. Even uh, there was one really cool study where it was, um, was it was a professional ballerina and they took functional MRIs of them sitting like watching a movie just completely pain-free then they had them move in a way to aggravate their injuries and their brain just lit up they then took those arenas had a 20-minute conversation with them about what pain was put them back in the machine and had them move in the same way and the reductions in brain activity were huge just from a small educational session i think people when you realize that there's so much you can do for your body for stress, uh, not just physicality, which a lot of people maybe don't feel super confident with, that's really empowering. So you could absolutely do something like therapy or meditation. And I've had individuals where it's been significantly more effective than just regular strength training or physical activity. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So all the listeners out here are kind of like writing that one down like if you're, if you're I mean it's true though if you're in if you have chronic pain or you've had this pain for such a long time and you're trying to rehab it like take a second to think about your mental health and how yeah. stressed you are and 
what other influencer influences are coming at you and your body and you know take take a moment to like meditate or sit down or do some breath work or something like that or, or therapy talking to someone yeah I think it really just matters what works for you that's what's going to be the most profound like sort of what helps you get your power back what helps you feel that like for people are so discouraged you know when i was working at the clinic we were a new clinic and so it, it was just like the people i started to learn about chronic pain because those were the people i was seeing we were like google search so by the time people got to us they had had pain for three or four years and if you've been to like six practitioners and nobody has been able to fix you with their miracle cure, you believe that you're beyond help. Yeah. And that is so discouraging. And if you tell somebody a position is going to be dangerous, it will be dangerous. If you tell somebody they're going to be injured for a long time, they are more likely to be injured for a long time. Your body and its beliefs, like I said, that pit stop in the brain from these fibers being stimulated has a huge impact on the severity. So yeah, meditation, uh, therapy, stress is stress to the body. It doesn't matter if it's emotional or physical. Yeah. Yeah, wow, okay. So this brings me on to my next question. How, how would someone's lifestyle affect their pain, do you think? Yeah, I, I think, it, you know, it's a good segue from what we were just talking about. Like, yeah. <laughs> especially with even like phones and that kind of stuff, like that blue light coming in, that's stimulating to the nervous system. I think <sighs> your lifestyle of being go, 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 potentially being like a type A personality who's like always trying to accomplish these things, that is a pain or chronic pain or something like that, that kind of influence is significantly distracting from your day-to-day -day life. So your lifestyle in terms of your nutrition, how you sleep. I can't tell you the number of people who, when they've come back to me and said, I'm finally pain-free when I'm sleeping, they're recovering. I, I'm just like, okay, here we go. It's just going to skyrocket when their sleep improves. Nutrition is the same thing, right? Like it, if you're feeling good, even from just like an aesthetic point of view, if you're just feeling good about your body, you're more comfortable to use it and sort of express it. And so how you eat, uh, how you sleep, your thoughts, your meditation practices, how much you value your time, your time with friends, all of those, everything has an effect on the severity of pain. And so that's why the biopsychosocial model is so freeing in a way, because it's not just what you do in the gym, it's arguably everything else that could have a more profound effect. Yeah. Okay. So just live a healthy lifestyle. <laughs> Yeah, like, look, if you're not finding the success that you'd like in the gym and getting a wonderful trainer or somebody to help you isn't within the realm of your possibilities, recognize that uh, there are numerous individuals who have found more profound success with having lifestyle changes. So you are not, we can absolutely help you. Like, look for nutrition, look for sleep, look for the easiest change that you can make something that's sustainable in your life and then all of those things have profound and compounding effects on your well-being so definitely don't just look at this as like okay if i can't deadlift 100 pounds and i'm going to be in back pain forever like you can sleep better and that will cause your nervous system to be less stressed and your brain will inflict less pain because it's 
more relaxed. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. That makes total sense. That really, yeah. really makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, kind of coming back to scoliosis and pain, I know a lot. A lot of the things us with scoliosis encouraged to encouraged to do is, is having a like a strong core and a strong back. How do you think that that helps get rid of scoliosis pain? So you know, again, I've never met somebody who's had like too strong of a core or too strong of hips or something like that. So it's definitely. Uh, it's something I want to encourage. I don't want to discourage people away from physical activity. That's the exact opposite of what I want to do. But this idea, like when, when you say to somebody, you need to have a strong core. Most people attribute strength to like being able to lift heavy weights. And that might not be for everybody. So I think it's really important. Like the word strong is not necessarily how I would choose to describe that because yeah one of the things that's really common amongst individuals with chronic back pain is that they have a tendency to overstimulate their muscles over contract in response to low stimuli. So you go to pick up a pencil and your body just go like, just sends so many signals to your tissues. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, the best uh, professional athletes in the world don't necessarily contract harder, they relax faster in between contractions. So people say strong core and people assume that that's sort of strength. And in a way it is, your body needs to be able to produce strength to help move tissues and all that jazz. But it's more about having a robust core, particularly for something like scoliosis, where the differences between individuals can be uh, so unique. It's about having a core that can solve a lot of different problems and the problems that are facing you in your life, in your work, in your day to day, and not necessarily just pure strength. So I would encourage individuals to uh, both relax and work on their strengths and find what works for them and makes them feel strong and not just assume that strength is deadlifting a lot, but it is also that. <laughs> I like I like the word a robust core. <laughs> it's got to solve problems, right? That's all our brain cares about. And your yeah. brain is the one that inflicts pain. So one of the things I love doing is fixing people's hamstring tightness in 15 seconds. Yeah, and all I do... So remember. Yeah, yeah. It's, as long as you can teach somebody to properly brace the core, yeah. the brain will relax the hamstrings because it goes, oh, somebody's finally got the hips. Like, I don't need to be worried about this anymore. And yeah. so it will relax those tissues. So for scoliosis, obviously there's real things going on in the spine, but a lot, the severity of tightness or the severity of the specificity to the individual might be decreased by that individual having a core that works for them in their life and not just is strong by standard definitions. Yeah. Yeah, it's not about having like rock hard abs. Yeah. Yeah, it's more about what's going on underneath, like yeah. deep internally and, mm -hmm. and <laughs> getting everything working together well rather than just looking good. Yeah. Looking good is also nice. So Solving the problems of your life, not just focusing on the individual tissues. Exactly. Yeah. Which, what, what are your thoughts on medication for pain? Yeah. Um, so... If it sort of like decouples 
that learned response, that that can be helpful. So for instance, lots of people with uh, low back pain, they get hurt when they bend over or they feel pain when they bend over. And so that is just kind of like a learned response where your brain goes, okay, when I bend over, I feel pain. He's bending over inflicts pain on the body. So if you're able to use medication to give you sort of a pain-free period of time to then relearn good habits, that's helpful. It's the same, basically that's what any good practitioner is doing, a chiropractor, acupuncturist, witch doctor, whatever. Like if they're giving you pain-free periods of time that you are able to detach movement that are causing you pain from your body thinking they're dangerous, that's valuable. But medication over a long period of time, it it actually like even um, opiates and that kind of stuff, you know, this is getting a little outside my range, but they basically just like numb your whole body yeah. because they're slowing your brain's response to pain more than they are having an effect on the actual tissue themselves. So short term, fine. Long term, something's going on. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's it. That's interesting. That makes a lot of sense. So in, um, in summary, what would you, what could, would you tell the listeners is the best thing to do to help them just reduce their pain, scoliosis or not? So I think, um, initially people want to feel proactive. So for me to tell your listeners to like go meditate uh, that's like a hard place to start because <laughs> most people want to be actively doing something towards their discomfort. So one of the things that I'm looking for as a practitioner when I deal with something and something people can do for themselves is start to get an idea of what positions bother them, what positions during their day are causing them pain. Then it's a matter of what I call exercise Advil. So let's say that like you have to sit at a desk all day. There's nothing you can really do about it. And that position causes you pain. Well, then what I would do is I would give this person like one exercise or two exercises, like a clamshell or like a core brace or something small that they can do that will help reduce that pain. And that starts to give this person, their person's brain, the idea that, okay, movement is medicine. Mm. Every time I'm in pain, if I do just a little bit of these exercises and make my body feel safe, then my pain is reduced. And you start to build that habit of movement being medicine. And that's really where your brain starts to go, oh, God, I like this thing. I like when he moves his hips and squeezes those tissues. So if you can have a list or start to think about what positions cause you pain, and then work with a professional or work online to think of one or two exercises that will help you reduce the intensity of that pain and then start to make those habits as closely related as you can. Once you feel the pain, you do the exercises, then you leave them. Don't make it 10 to 40, just a few to help release the pain. Go back to what you're doing. When you feel the pain again, go again. It's exercise Advil as opposed to regular Advil. Wow. Okay, and really quickly as we are running out of time, just tell us a little bit about your app and about where <laughs> can find you if they want to um, ask you some questions. Yeah. So uh, I'd start out by saying uh, ginkgo.health is where okay. you can find out a little bit more like ginkgo, like the tree. Uh, I can't actually talk too much about it right now. So this is where we had to stop the interview, but if you want to find out more, head to ginkgo.health and yeah. 
Rob is just amazing, right? He's a blow your mind and I cannot wait for this app to get released and to even find out more about it. I don't even know, guys, so it's a big secret. Thank you so much for listening and joining me and hopefully I will see you in the next one. Goodbye.